This is the Game Changers Experience. Deep dive conversations with leading business disruptors, Olympic athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and influencers from around the world. This show will teach you insights about the winning principles in mindset, productivity, marketing, branding, entrepreneurship, business strategy, and more. Hosted by Productivity Authority, business strategist, former elite athlete, author, and public speaker, Adam Strong. To another live Game Changers Experience podcast live show with myself, Adam Strong. And today we have another amazing guest. In fact, you know, one thing I love about the show is just kind of, um, you know, interviewing some really diverse characters, uh, people that come from diverse black backgrounds. This particular gentleman actually um, was introduced to me through a previous podcast guest, actually, uh, Adrian, who is a, is a really cool guy uh, based over in the US. And, um, you know, it's interesting. So some of you guys know I'm also uh, a previous Olympic athlete as well. And we're going to be interviewing who I find very fascinating in today's um, in today's world. And his name is called Cam Awesome. All right. Now, this is I'm not pulling your leg here, guys. We're going to talk about how the whole kind of like awesomeness comes about. But uh, Cam is effectively a you know, speaker. He's a champion of diversity. Uh, he's a national champion, um, a Olympic boxer uh, or former Olympic heavyweight boxer. Um, he's been featured in numerous um, numerous media, but he's also been featured in a documentary uh, called um, Counterpunch. Uh, and uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about that documentary as well. And he used to be the captain of Team USA, so um, in, in boxing. And one of the things that um, one of the things that uh, we're going to be talking about is adversity today. And I feel like today's topic is very much on point. And, and I'm sure that some of you guys that are going to be listening in are going to be very much on point uh, with today. Now, if you're listening to us um, live, use the hashtag live, use the hashtag replay, of course. If you are, if you have any comments or any questions for me and Cam, please do me a favor. PLC, post like or comment, comment section below. That'd be super awesome. We are, can, we are streaming here through on LinkedIn Live and on YouTube. So make sure that you hit that bell notification on the top right-hand corner. So one of the things that we, me and Cam are going to be talking about, we're going to be talking about how he can, how, how um, he, um, we talk about Cam, his name is Cam Awesome. We're going to talk about that story first, because for you guys that don't know about that, that's quite fascinating. Secondly, we're going to be talking about the preparation, right? So the preparation of what Cam did in terms of like leading to a fight or a competition, the competition and the mental edge, the competitive edge more than anything else. What is the rituals that he went through? What are the habits? We can be delving in a little bit about that. What a typical routine looks like for Cam as well. And we're also going to be talking about how he dealt emotionally and mentally about how, you know, if he, uh, when he went through times of adversity or when he lost a fight or whatever, what did he do to go through the emotional, mental kind of like avenues in terms of like dealing with that particular um particular scenario where it is we're also going to talk a little bit about humbleness uh humbleness happiness how they're correlated and things like that so lots and lots and lots to get through so listen if you cannot 
listen to the live video, do me a favor, head over to Spotify or on Apple, whatever your preferred podcast uh, platform is, and go listen to us on there. Even if you listen to the gym, listen to it in the car, um, and uh, whatever it might be. So listen, looking forward to today's conversation. So without further ado, Mr. Cam Awesome, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me, man. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm uh, I'm good. I'm I'm out in uh, cloudy Seattle right now, in the U.S. <laughs> That's Seattle, Washington, right? Yeah, in the states. In the states. Cool, cool, cool. Well, listen, I'm excited uh, about our conversation. You know, and uh, we have to give a big shout out to Adrian who introduced us. Right, Adrian's yeah. a cool guy, right? Yeah. How did you love that dude? How, how did you guys meet? Just out of curiosity. Uh, actually through a, uh, uh, one of my, uh, a guy used to, uh, an old boxing buddy. I fought him once and we're friends. He, uh, Ed Lattimore, <laughs> he connected me with, with Adrian. Nice. Very cool. Love that. It's good stuff. You know, so I'm really, uh, fascinated because I mean, we have a lot of similarities, even though we're kind of like from two different sports, two different disciplines. So I, you know, it, it's kind of interesting. I guess we all have our own stories from sport discipline and, and things like that. But, uh, you know, I find I'm boxing is one of those uh, sports where, you know, there is just so much you can kind of correlate back to, um, you know, what we were speaking about offline and about business, right? There's just so much you can talk about, right? Oh, yeah. There's a lot of parallels between between boxing and business and actually boxing and life. Uh yeah. I'm so grateful that I did something as difficult as boxing because now in comparison, nothing else really seems that insurmountable. <laughs> you know what? It's interesting because, you know, I, I, about you, but I feel like, you know, yes, parenting is difficult. Yes. Being an Olympic athlete is difficult, but tell you what, running your own business. I mean, that to me is probably one of the top, like the top, right? I don't know about you. What, what, what you say? What are you saying to that? Uh, I would say uh, it. I'm so grateful to have boxing because I didn't realize how difficult it would have been to run a business. Yeah, and I'm so grateful that I've done something. This isn't the first difficult thing I'm doing. <laughs> and what what I've learned is once if you can a, a cheat code to life is if if you can voluntarily suffer, if you can make yourself do something difficult on your own when it comes up and it's not your choice, when life throws a punch at you, like, oh, I've been hit before. This is nothing. But right. If, if humans were anti-fragile, the more we go through, the stronger we become. But then you have the same, you said it's very difficult being a parent. And I'd like to get your thoughts on this, Adam. So understanding the more you go through, the stronger you become. And I know that because of the things I've been through my, in my life is why I'm so strong now today. Mm. how much do you want your child to go through? Well, that's a good point. Um, that's a really interesting question. Um, I think for me is, I think it depends on the perspective and the narrative. And what I mean by that is like, you have to allow your child to, uh, in order for them to learn and grow, it's a bit like this. And I use this as a metaphor, right? When a, when a child grows up from a, from a baby to a toddler, they're, they're learning so much. Right? They're learning how to speak. 
but more importantly, they're learning how to walk. So what do you do with that baby or moving into a toddler, right? You don't, if they, if they, if they try to get up, you don't just try to help them up all the time. Every time they try to walk, right? You let them do their own thing because you have to allow them to effectively learn the ropes that you have to allow them to hurt themselves. You have to allow them to go through that. And then eventually they're going to keep doing it because they're persistent. They're like, you know, children, I find children fascinating, especially when it comes to persistence. You know, if they want something, they'll get it because they're continued to keep going. If they believe that they can do it, they will. So I hope that kind of answers the question. If they believe they can do it. So if they believe they can do it. And I don't know that was probably, you said the first question you're going to ask, the reason why I changed my last name to awesome is because Henry Ford, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Adam, do you believe words are powerful? Absolutely, 100%. Now, if you believe words are powerful, the reason why I changed my last name to awesome is a reminder that I think I'm awesome. I have to think highly of myself at all times. No one's going to believe in me until I believe in myself. Mm. Now, some backlash I get. When people find out that I changed my last name to awesome, they say, well, you must think highly of yourself. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. I think so highly of myself. I think I can accomplish anything. I can think I can do anything. But here's something else as well, Adam. I also think the same of you. I appreciate that. You don't have to. So there's a thing, there's, there's this concept that we have as people. I can't think highly of myself and think highly of other people as well. Hmm. And this is why the idea of being humble is so important to understand. I think humility is one of the worst habits you can develop. It's one of the worst traits you can have. And Adam, do you, do you have a, a phone in front of you? Can you Google the definition of humble for me? Yep. Uh, in fact, I'll probably just bang it out here on the, on the old laptop. It's probably much easier. Uh, okay. Humble. Okay. Now read the first and, and, definition for, for me. Okay. Give me two seconds. It says not proud or. Oh, hang on a second. I don't know if this is correct. Hang on a second. No, it's very correct. Read it, Adam. Oh, it is. It says not proud or not arrogant, not assertive, reflecting, expressing, or offered in a spirit of dif- difference or submission. Okay. Does That's that sound like a strong trait? Yeah. Okay. Do you have another definition that you can read? Maybe that's a flip. Be... Okay. So uh, a humble person is not proud and does not believe that they are better than other people. That's another one. Do you have do you have another one? Uh, can you find see. any positive any positive definition of humble? Well, it's only because I've been a bit biased, really. Okay, let's go in here. Uh, let's have a look. This is the English dictionary, by the way, for you guys that are disclosed, okay? So it says humble, okay? It says low in rank, importance, status, and quality. Uh, Courtesy, respectful. Um, let's have a look. Have a, feeling of, have a feeling of insignificance, inferiority, or subsit, of subservience. Um, not proud or arrogant. Okay, Adam. Modest. So I've been letting you go for a while on these definitions. I wanted to see if you can find a positive definition of being humble. That's not really that 
that's not really that positive, I would say. Low end rank, low it, importance. It, it, it's, it's not really. It's, not, it's not really. It's a negative trait, but we have this concept in well, at least here in the states, uh, we have this right. concept of uh, because it's a Christian nation and being humble in the eye of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Sure, but Adam, you're not the Lord. I don't need to be humble to you. But we condition our children to be humble. We condition our children not to celebrate. We condition our children not not celebrate themselves. If you get 100 on your test and everyone else gets a 60, you don't tell anyone. You keep it to yourself. You don't want anyone to know your greatness. And if you continuously suppress how great you really are, how will you ever reach your highest potential? You know what? You know what? The, you know it, it. You know what's really interesting about this conversation, and I, and I think that uh, from my perspective, I think there's kind of a fine balance between humbleness and egotistical, because, and you know, especially you know what I mean. That there is a really fine line between the two. What do you think the two differences are? Uh, I would tell you to look up the definition of ego and tell me if ego is a bad thing. Look up the definition of ego and tell me if ego is a bad thing. Words are powerful. Right, we have to understand the words we're talking about. I have an absolutely. ego. My ego is great. Absolutely. It says a person's sense of self-esteem and self-importance. So that's a positive thing, now, right? Yeah. Why is that a bad thing? And what happens is we'll start to continue. Most people, when I tell them that, they start to redefine the negative definition of ego because they've been so conditioned that ego is bad and they don't even know who told them in the first place. Right. Words are powerful. I will never be humble. Mm-mm, no, thank you. I think so highly of myself. I think highly of you as well, Adam. I think I'm up here. If you're down here, I'm not going to come down here to meet you. No, I'm going to pull you up here with me. Because when times get tough and and we're facing the fire and life is punching us in the face and you, you say, well, how long can I stay in the fire? You can stand for the, in the fire as long as you believe you can. And if you don't believe you're that great, you're not going to stay in the fire that long. I'll live in the fire. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. You know, it, it's interesting. I guess, I guess it also depends on a number of factors. Number one is mindset, but also perceptual reality. Because I feel like you know, it, it again depend on what your experience, your life experience is, and what your perceptual reality is of what humble is, what ego is. You know, if I spoke to 20 people, in fact, if I spoke to 10 people, they'd probably all have a different definition of how we see ego and humbleness, right? Uh, I Actually, I disagree. I, if you asked me and nine other people, you'd get two different answers. You'd get my answer and you'd get nine other people telling you that being humble was good because they never took the time to look at it. And anytime I bring this up to someone, it's like it, it hits a trigger point of their emotions because they look at being humble as such a virtue that they start to defend it and say, well, 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 but, but humble doesn't mean thinking lowly of yourself. It doesn't mean thinking of less of yourself. It means thinking of yourself less. It, a whole bunch of stupid rhymes. And no, words are powerful. Being mm-hmm. humble is a weak trait. Being Having an ego is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that. I hear you. I my hear my you. personal belief. My personal belief. It's how I absolutely my, my, my life. No, but I but I but I like it. I I think it's a good perspective. I definitely love that. Anyway, um, moving on from humbleness because I know that you are a very humble person. Of course, <laughs> I want to talk about. Um, I, I want to kind of like go into. Uh, and I, I know that 
you have kind of a, a very interesting story to tell. Um, I know that uh, when we spoke uh, offline, I remember you were telling me about the um, the Olympic trials and uh, about the fact that, you, you know, you were kind of like one of these, um, uh, what's the word I was looking for? The, the special word I was looking for, were like kind of not make it before you break it type of thing, but one of the, one of the things where you got there, but for one, some particular reason, the universe didn't want you to be there. Type, do you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It. it so uh, for for the listeners, uh, I started boxing. I was 16 years old. I was getting bullied in school, and I figured out this equation: one plus two equals three. Uh, in this equation, I'm one. So uh, what what taught me this equation actually is I learned how calories work in school. They okay. say you 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 consume about about 2,000 calories a day, you burn about 2,000 calories a day, you maintain. If you wanted to burn, if, if you want to lose weight, you have to burn more calories than you consume. So in my mind, some this went on. One plus two equals three. One is me. Three is the goal. The reason why I'm one is you should always be your own number one. You should always okay. be your biggest fan. No one's going to believe in you until you believe in yourself. In this equation, number three is your goal. And my goal was to lose weight. In this equation, number two is everything I have to do to get to my goal. One plus two equals uh -huh. three. The reason why I say number two is not number two because it's shitty. It's the crappy part of the job. It's the hard work. It's the part that most people don't want to do. So I, I, of course, didn't want to eat less food. So I said I'd burn more calories. So I, I started to roll a blade every morning before the gym. And here's where I figured out. I did it morning after morning after morning after morning after morning after six mornings in a row, Adam. No one stopped me and said, hey, Cam, I can tell you've been working out. Keep up the good work. Huh. No one said. And the thing is, I looked in the mirror. I didn't see any difference. And I said, well, I've been doing this for six days and nothing's working. But I said, if the <laughs> equation works, I'll stick with it. And this was the first time I dealt with delayed gratification. I stuck with it. And after about four months, Adam, people would say, look at Cam. He thinks he's skinny. And I would blush because it's all I want. So I joined the boxing gym, not to become a boxer, but just because I can burn more calories in, in the boxing gym. So I would be in the boxing gym four hours a day. I was working out more than anyone because I was obsessive about my weight. And I realized the more I boxed, the better I got at boxing. Mm. One plus two equals three. One is me. Three is getting good at boxing. Two is not getting hit. Adam, if I don't get hit, I'm going to win. That was my plan. So at 6'1", 203 pounds, I fought at heavyweight. I fought guys 280, 290, because my thought process was, if you didn't hit me, you can't win. One right. plus two equals three. Uh, so within two years of boxing, I became the number one boxer in the country. I qualified for the 2008 Olympic trials. I lost. I won nationals in 2008, 2009, 2011, 2012. Uh, in, 2000, uh, in 2012, I won the Olympic trials to represent US in the London Olympics. And then I was the first boxer to ever be suspended and kicked off the Olympic team for not filling out paperwork. That's uh, crazy. I, I left, so I'm not, if, so are you familiar with WADA? Yes, the World Association, the Doping Association, right? Yes. Uh, so I left the country to fight in Azerbaijan and 
the drug testing agency showed up to give me a random drug test at my home in Kansas City. I wasn't there, a random drug test. So I missed the drug test. Now, I, this was after Lance Armstrong went on Oprah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. And they cracked down on a bunch of athletes for silly infractions. I was suspended for a year and kicked off the Olympic team, even though I tested negative that same week in Azerbaijan to even fight in the tournament. So there's no suspicion of me doping, but I got suspended for a year. I lost everything I had, everything I worked for, because in our sport, all we get is sponsorships. And my sponsorship was my house, my car, uh, my gym memberships. It, it was my, my whole livelihood. That's crazy. So you basically, what you're saying is then you lost everything. Did you lose everything? Everything. That's everything. crazy. That is crazy. Yeah. You know, and there was there was no going back, you know, because I mean, listen, I know the whole kind of like, you know, leading up to the Olympics and training for what is the toughest challenge of your entire life. You work for four years for them to just turn around and say, uh, yeah, you weren't in your hometown, so we're gonna put you down as a failure. That's 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 low, man. I mean that that's harsh. That I was so hurt because I realized I gave everything to boxing and right. and then boxing just screwed me over and I was left with nothing. And I, I didn't go to college, I didn't do anything besides box. So I had no skills. So I had to just right. wait my year suspension and return to boxing. But I said when I returned to boxing, I was going to do it differently. When I returned to boxing, I was going to leave on my own accord. And I was going to build myself up bigger than a boxer. So when I'm done with the sport, I have something else. And when I returned, I wasn't going to be, I wasn't going to be, because during my suspension, I became a negative person. I was depressed. I was yeah. sad. I gained a bunch of weight. And yeah. I, I decided to symbolically kill off the old me. Now, what I did was I, I, I on my half birthday, I went out and I legally changed my, my name to Cam F. Awesome. And the reason why I did that was I did it because I, for a bunch of reasons. One, to remind myself to believe in myself. Two, I wanted everyone that knew me to reintroduce themselves to me because they didn't know me anymore. Mm -hmm. This new me, I was different. I have different boundaries. I respect myself differently. I, would, I won't tolerate things I used to tolerate. And another reason why is when I returned to boxing, I was going to be such a personality that I was going to build a, a career for myself after sports. Love. So I returned to boxing. Uh, I got a deal with Netflix. I had, they followed me around for three years, did a documentary on me. But as I would travel around to fight, I would stop off at high schools and middle schools and speak at high schools and middle schools to kids. I would also do stand up comedy. And I also, I became a vegan and I would also emcee veg, vegan festivals around the country. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Any, any opportunity to have a microphone, I did it because I wanted to get better at speaking. And as I built my boxing career, I was building my speaking business as well, building my talent of speaking. And uh, I kind of built a brand for myself. So after I retired from boxing, I transitioned into a pretty successful speaking career. Interesting, because, you know, you see those, uh, I'm not going to call them horror stories, but, you know, some of the uh, stories of when athletes retire or footballers when they get serious, uh, it's kind of like, in a way, you kind of like pity those athletes. But in another sense, you kind of 
you don't because it's like, well, surely you should anticipate it. Like that was going to happen there's always a shelf life to sport and being the best at your game do you know what i mean uh, adam yes logically i know what you mean but think about it like this let's say that you were lebron james you were six foot four at the age of 10 yep they knew you were going to be a prodigy yep and do you think you lived a normal life do you think <laughs> that's true do you think anything has ever been normal for you do you have to conceptualize things the way a normal person would Imagine if LeBron James would have broken his leg his senior year in high school and never played basketball again. He he would be stunted. He would have to reacclimate into society. So these athletes, they're right. never told – if you're told you're going to be great your whole life, and then you, once you get to college, you realize everyone in college is great. You're not special. Right. How do you deal with that? Yeah, that's a, that's that's a really good question. Um, it is a, it is a really good question. It does go go back to kind of like what I experienced as well. You know, it, I mean, but then you kind of aspire to some of the um, some of the amazing athletes out there. Like you know, if you look at people like David Beckham, for example, who you know he was a smart businessman. You you get a lot of great footballers. You get a lot of great uh, boxers. You know that have like little what I call side hustles. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like little side hustles, whether it be in dealing with property or real estate, um, you know, and, and they kind of like fought a little bit kind of out of the box. I mean, same for you. I mean, you kind of like fought out of the box. You you got into, you know, speaking and stuff. So you you were, you were kind of like on toes a little bit. Do you know what I'm saying? But it took that kind of like, you know, experience for you to kind of realize that, I guess, in a way. Yeah, I think for any athlete, uh, I think every athlete should look at your sport as a way to make absorbent amounts of money to invest into your business for when you're 30. Because when you're yep. 30, you're, you're old, you're washed up, you're retired. If you're not at 30, <laughs> you will be by 40. So you need to build that plan. And here's how crazy it is. My, so when I first started boxing, it was never to get good at boxing. It was just to lose weight. Mm -hmm. Then I realized I got to travel for free. And then something right. went off in my mind. After I won my first national championship, one plus two equals three. I know the equation works. I figured I can Love win it. all the national championships. If, if I have a national championship, Adam, and you have an associate's degree, and we go for a marketing job, who do you think is going to get it? What's mm, oh, a tricky one? Oh, it's probably going to be you. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, by the time I won my fourth national championship, that's a bachelor's mm. degree. By the time I've won my 10th national championship, that was a master's. By the time I won my 14th, that was a doctorate. I right. can use, as an athlete, I can use my skill as an athlete to transition to anywhere else in life. But you have to build, you have to use that time while you're still an athlete. Because athletes don't realize as soon as the jersey on their sweat dries, they become irrelevant. Yep. Agreed. 100%. By the way, Unless you're, of course, a goalkeeper, because I read the other day that uh, there was a goalkeeper. I think he went, I think he was like 46, and he was playing for some um, South American team or Asian team. So, you know, if you're a goalkeeper, this doesn't apply. So I just wanted to point that out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, it's all good. Listen, I, I'd like to, um, I'd like to uh, delve into kind of like 
what your mental preparation was before leading up to a fight or a competition. Like, what was kind of going through your mind mentally and emotionally? Like, how did you deal with the pressure and, and that kind of stuff? What, what was kind of the – love to know more about that. Uh, so my way of dealing with the pressure is uh, is overexposure. So m- most most people spar uh, probably once or twice a week. Right. I only spar. I I don't hit mm-hmm. the bag. I don't do anything else but spar. Why? Because I feel like if I hit the bag, all you do is develop bad habits. The bag's not going to punch you in the face. So because I spent so much time in the ring sparring, I was so comfortable during fights. And then after I did that, I realized, oh, if I if I spar a thousand rounds and Adam, you only spar a hundred rounds, I'm gonna be a lot more comfortable than you. Right. So I I realized if I have a hundred fights and you have 10 fights, Adam, who do you think is gonna win? Well, you're gonna win, of course. I have 400 fights now, Adam. Right. That's my, my way of being getting rid of my nerves is I fought so often it was casual to me. I would show up to fights by myself. I would wrap my own hands. I'd warm myself up. I would ask any random coach, stranger, to work my corner. It was casual to me. And here's the mental aspect behind it. If you're my opponent, Adam, I want you to know you are so insignificant to me that I'm not worried about this fight, that I drove here without a coach, that I wrap my hands myself. I do this so often. I am so comfortable, Adam. You are in over your head. Our experience levels are so different that you're, you look over at me and I'm joking around with everyone in the crowd and you're preparing for the biggest night of your life and you're super nervous. Who do you think's better prepared? You, you're going to be prepared. You did most of the sparring. You did most of the practice and, and take on and, most of the responsibility, I guess. And, and here's why, Adam, because, and because I, I did all those things, I'm better than you. I'm better than you, Adam, in every aspect of the way. I'm a better fighter than you. I'm a better inside fighter. I have a better jab than you. I have a better uppercut than you. I'm a better, I'm a better brother than you, Adam. I'm a brother, father. I don't even have kids. I'm a better husband. I'm not married. In every aspect of your life, Adam, I'm better than you because you're not willing to dedicate as much as I'm willing to dedicate. Do you also feel like, because um, you, you talk about dedication and stuff like that, but also because um, you talked about, you know, during your routine, you, you know, you drive yourself to, to, to the fight, you wrap your own hands. And so you do all those things yourself. But then with other fighters, say this is a, I don't know, a big, a big fight or whatever it is, could be a national championship or whatever it is, they'd have coaches, that have people wrapping their hands or whatever it is. Uh, what are some of the, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I'm a big believer of, um, you know, if you're an individual, doesn't matter if you're boxing, athlete, uh, uh, distance runner, it doesn't really matter. Where does the kind of the team uh, fit into place? You know, especially if you're, preparing yourself are you saying that a team is insignificant like to back your corner or should you take that responsibility yourself what's your take on this uh i would say in boxing some people need coach so i believe a boxing coach isn't as relevant at the fight the boxing coach isn't relevant at the fight everything that 
you've trained for, you're not going to learn anything new in the 60 seconds in between rounds. Like, but it, it does make someone feel okay. a little more comfortable and it lets you mentally feel comfortable. It actually doesn't make a difference. Uh, mm-hmm. I would say what you do before the right. fight is what matters. If you're listening to your coach, if you're training before the fight, mm-hmm. it, you can have the greatest coach in the world in your corner. But if you haven't actually trained for the last month, you're going to lose. That's true. That's true. That's true. And Adam, um, I'm, I'm so sure I trained harder than you. <laughs> you probably did. <laughs> no, I, no, I just mean like whoever my opponent is, I, I, I obsess in the gym. And sometimes like, oh, I'm, I'm going to hit out these six rounds. And then if I have a thought, the guy yep. I'm fighting might have done seven rounds. I'm doing mm. 11. Right. You want to go that, like three, four steps higher than them all the time. And, and it, it's, I, 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 la- I want to lap them so much. They don't know who's ahead. <laughs> I love that. So it's, it's, it's so cool. But, but you, I, I don't um, know just have curiosity. Yeah. Okay. I was just going to say, did you ever lose in your, your boxing career at all? Like any matches at all? Oh, I lost a lot. I lost, Adam, I lost so many. <laughs> but that's well, that, that that's good. That, here, here's here's the thing. What I learned is, uh, your your record, your boxing record, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. That's why, if if you were the the biggest badass, I would drive to your hometown and fight you in front of your home crowd. Now, <laughs> I'd probably beat you, and they're not going to give me the decision. But I don't care because your record doesn't matter because when as a real right. fighter as a championship, I have that experience. So there's a guy named Roberto Camarelli, he, number one guy in the world when I fought him. He's from Italy. He came to Reno, Nevada to fight me. And if you think I'm going to let someone beat me in my own home country, Adam, you're crazy. <laughs> Adam, this dude beat my ass. <laughs> like he did. I didn't have it. Oh, he I lost that fight. I the. He was so experienced, Adam. The things he had did, was doing to me in the ring, I'd never seen before. Wow. It, I was like a fish out of water. He was treating me like a child. And <laughs> the things he, like, I lost. I got to the locker room. I was, I was pissed off, as I am. And I realized all the things that he did to me that I never saw before. Huh. Because I'm here in the United States. We don't fight like that. Right. I started to dominate everyone in the United States because I just started to do to them what he did to me. (laughs) Adam, I have 39 losses. Wow. Out of how many? How many, how many forts? Uh, I've got over 400 wins. Okay. That's pretty good. That's pretty good record though. But I couldn't like a match. So that lesson I learned from that one Italian dude, Imagine if I would have lost that fight and never fought again. That's true. I I would have never been able to utilize any of the lessons I learned in that loss. Mm. I've had 39 losses. I've got so many lessons that helped me get those 400 wins. But a lot of times when we lose in life, we want to give up and we want to quit. Right. But the loss is the lesson. That's what's going to make you better for next time. If you don't, if you stop fighting, you lose. It was pointless. How did you in 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 at that time? 
we use that as an example, you know, when you, you fought against the, the Italian fighter, how did you deal with that emotionally immensely about the fact that you were pissed off, of course, which is which is probably rightly so, of course. But what did you like? What was going through your mind from the time that you lost or that you knew that you lost to what happened, you know, for two or three days after the fight? Uh, so when I lose, I have this thing about momentum. I don't like that I lost my last fight. So as soon as I lost that fight, the first thing I was doing was looking for another fight immediately because I wanted to get that winning streak back going. Now, I couldn't watch the fight. I couldn't watch the fight. Uh, okay. I would, I would wake up in the middle of the night dreaming about it. I couldn't fall asleep at night because I was thinking about it. I would get lost in a conversation and talking to you because I would be thinking about something I could have done in that fight. I obsess over it. But here's what I found and here's what people don't want to talk about. If you want to be great at something, you're going to need to be obsessive. You can't name a single person in the world who's great at anything that practices moderation. Name somebody who practices moderation who's great at what they do. What about Lewis Hamilton? I don't know who that is. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm thinking <laughs> Formula One there. Completely random. Uh, okay. Oh, let's Formula One. To, okay. Yeah. Michael Jordan. Okay. Michael Jordan was known to be obsessively practicing, to be obsessively competitive. He would play. If you're playing tic-tac-toe with him, he's putting money on it. He's obsessively competitive. Even the Dalai Lama. <laughs> The Dalai Lama is known for literally doing nothing, standing still and meditating, and he does it harder than anybody. The fact that you know his name. Right. But the thing is, no one wants, everyone believes moderation is key. No, moderation leads to mediocrity. You right. give average effort, you're going to get average results. But no one Absolutely. wants to hear that. No one wants no. to hear that. So they say moderation is good. No, moderation is good if you want to be mediocre. Yeah, now, what I suggest is be great, obsess until you're great, and then maybe you can coast. Mm -hmm. But you don't get to coast when you're mediocre. Mm -mm -mm. You can't judge that. No, no, no. Love that. So that's a really good point. I love that. Um, I know that we're coming towards the end of our interview. And um, one thing that uh, – oh, by the way, guys, for, for you guys that are listening in, by the way, I hope that you've been enjoying some of our conversations. Please just favor. If you have any questions – Put in the uh, comment section, the comment section below for, for me and Cam, and we'll, we'll, we'll come back to you definitely. Um, I suppose last sort of question for me is for, for our audience that are listening in, whether it be a business leader, a business owner, or whatever it might be, you know, what, what, can, what can entrepreneurs in particular learn from, you know, from you in particular in terms of your journey, in terms of boxing, and how can we bring that into the kind of like the, the, the entrepreneurial world? What can we learn from that if people are going through times of adversity? Uh, I would say the greatest way to, to, to prepare is to be focused. And I would say the greatest way to, to be great is to be comfortable. And the greatest way to be comfortable is repetitions. So reps, reps, reps. And so one of the, the quotes that I live by, it's my own personal quote. If you can fail without being discouraged, success becomes inevitable. Love that. If you can Love fail that. without being discouraged, success becomes inevitable. If you fail and you learn from it and you can do it again, you're better. If let's say you fail the third grade, I bet the second time you do third grade, you're going to be better. 
the third time you do third grade, you're going to be great. The seventh time you do third grade, you should probably drop out, but you're going to be better. <laughs> you get the point, ladies and gents. I hope so. Um, that's a... <laughs> Rinse and repeat, as they say, right? Rinse and repeat. Yes. That's what they say. Love that. Some good stuff. Listen, um, for you guys listening in, I hope that you enjoyed uh, mine and Cam's conversations. Um, for you guys that are listening in on the podcast, of course, please do me a favor. Check out Cam's uh, uh, social media links below and, and feel free to connect with him. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out. Mention this podcast, of course. Cam, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being on today's show. Thank you for having me, brother. It's all good. Listen, hope you enjoyed today's show, ladies and gents. And if you have, please do me a favor. Write out a five-star review over on Apple or Spotify and give us your perspective and opinion and feedback. We love that. We'd love to hear from our audience. We have over 52 um, 52, uh, we have listeners in 52 countries, over 52 countries around the world, which is insane. By the way, the United States is the second largest audience. So for you guys that are in Kansas City, uh, Seattle, Washington, or uh, any part of the United States, please uh, give a big shout out to Cam. Awesome. Anyway, so listen, hopefully, hopefully you you um, got, some, got, got some gold nuggets out of today's session. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Cam thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, hopefully you guys will listen uh, in on the next Game Changes experience. Take care, and we'll see you soon. Cheers, everyone.